Welcome back, Warriors. Tanse Sego Anibuju. Kwe Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, practices, and governing laws. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And that can take place in a wide variety of forms. One of the ways in which Native peoples have both resisted colonization and assimilation, and also revitalized their cultures and languages and identities is through art. While artistic expression can be found in many familiar forms like traditional beading, weaving, singing, drumming, dancing, and storytelling, there is no end to the ways in which all of our diverse nations express our cultures and identities through art. That can be books, graphic novels, poems, spoken word are also ways of expressing our experiences, our traumas, our hopes, and our dreams. Traditional regalia, often seen at powwows, can represent art forms that take many years to complete and carry centuries of stories within them. And in the last few decades, there has been a growing trend uh, to wear our art every day in a wide variety of forms. It could be t-shirts, hats, clothing of all kind adorned with both traditional artwork and modern takes on cultural symbols and expressions of resistance and resurgence and revitalization and strength and pride. Art has a way of making us feel like we are part of something bigger. Our extended families, communities, our clans, houses, villages, and nations, and in fact, the world and the universe itself. Today, I feel very honored to have with us Michelle Silliboy. She's an Ilnu interdisciplinary artist and poet, and she's from the same nation that I am, the Mi'kmaq Nation. Welcome to the show, Michelle. <laughs> oh, thank you, Pam. Oh, my goodness. It's so exciting to have you here. <laughs> uh, this is this is great. And the fact that you're willing to take your time in what looks like a beautiful summer day where you are probably <laughs> back home in Mi'kma'ki. Um, thank oh, yes. you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. This is, I'm just so, I, I'm honored, you know, from one Olu to another. This is wonderful. That's awesome. Well, before we get right into it, because I literally have a thousand questions, I'm wondering if you would like to introduce yourself the way you like to. Oh, okay, sure. Um, that was it. Well, you introduced me, Michelle Silliboy, and um, I'm originally from Wegoma uh, Unamare, which is uh, in Cape Breton Island. And um, I have my my mother is from the the bear clan and the spider clan my biological dad um is from Nadwaganek um in Ground, New Brunswick uh, but i was raised by my mom's younger sister and her husband and um he was the the grand chief uh, of the Mi'kmaq Nation uh, until 2017 when he passed away. Uh, so I was lucky enough to to grow up in Wegoma with my language and my culture. And, and so 
But I feel blessed that way, you know, even though we never knew my mom because of the of her trauma to residential school. But we were fortunate enough to be uh, raised by her, uh, her, her family. So. I'm so glad to actually be at least meeting you virtually, hopefully someday in person. And one of the reasons why I reached out to you in the summer, um, I usually don't um, do a lot of podcasts in the summer, but I was just online doing research for other things. And I saw a media clip of you being interviewed <laughs> and it was longer than 30 seconds. So that's great. And you were talking about your personal story, like some of your history how you got to where you are today because you know people often think everyone's path is the same if you're going to do this you take these steps if you do this but you know our paths are all different and and how you ended up where you are today and I'm wondering if you'd like to share some of you know your journey about how you became such a, like an amazing interdisciplinary artist <laughs> through trial and error uh <laughs> Uh, you know, my, I found out many years later, not knowing anything about who my parents were, um, I really didn't know who my biological dad was uh, until I was uh, 11 years old. Um, he picked me up. I ran away from home, and so he picked me up with my uncle, and my uncle uh, looks at me and goes, do you know who that man is? And I said, no. And he was wearing a ball cap with uh, the, the Summer Games logo on it. And it, had, it just happened in member two. And so I asked him, I said, you were in member two? And he goes, yeah, I was there. And I knew he had uh, showed up in Cape Breton because my older brother uh, told me. And uh, he, he just showed out of nowhere. We never met him before. And so it was quite a, a shock to me and my siblings. And then shortly after I, I left, I hopped on a train and I, I was 11 years old and they sold me a ticket, which is really strange. I mean, but this is, you know, the 70s. And so late 70s, how old was I? Anyways, I was young. <laughs> so, and, and so... That what was I? What was my story going to be? I was like, so uh, all, all the art, yes. So years later, I found out uh, through Shirley Bear, of all people, Shirley Bear. I just love Shirley Bear. Um, she was one of my um, when I was going to Emily Carr. Uh, she was the uh, Indigenous coordinator for the art students and. I was so happy because I I was with another Indigenous woman and, and she was married to Peter Clare, who was Mi'kmaq. And so I, I was able to communicate uh, in the language with Peter and, and Shirley. And so, you know, Shirley being an elder, uh, you know, they don't ask, you know, most elders don't ask you your name. They ask you who are your parents and who are your grandparents. And of course, Shirley does that whole Indigenous uh way of figuring out where you are and who you are and so I told her and then she goes oh I know your father you know 
goes, now I know why you're, you're a sculptor. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, your, your father uh, is a sculptor. And I didn't know that about my father. And so, because I didn't know him. And, uh, and I said, oh. And then I told him about my mom, but she didn't know my mother. So years later, um, I met another elder. And I look like my mother. So she comes up to me in PEI at a powwow and, and uh, she goes, you're, you're Alexandrine's daughter. And I said, yes. And she goes, you look just like your mom. And then she starts telling me stories about my mom and how my mom was this uh, poet. And, and I didn't know that about my mother. And then over the years, you know, my mom's peers, and my mom was a very well-educated woman until the trauma of residential school uh, took over her life. But all of her peers ended up becoming um, professors and teachers because they all, you know, they took the teachers program at St. of X. And so those women became my mentors growing up and they would always keep an eye on me from a distance. But they would always, every now and then, they would let me know, you know, hello, Michelle. And, you know, um, one of them is still alive, Molly Ellen Bugu from Member Two. And she, she always made a point uh, of acknowledging who I was and would say hi, right from the get-go, since I was a little girl. And I remember one time we were at a, a wake and uh, again, here's this woman telling me, hello, Michelle, I'm Raoli. And, uh, and so I, I was, you know, old enough to finally ask, you know, how do you know me? And, uh, and she goes, your mom was my best friend. And um, in, in Boston, because I was born in Boston. And so, and, uh, you know, they went to school together, university together. They were, you know, BFFs all the way through. And so she, over the years, would tell me stories about my mom. And between her and the other women that uh, knew my mom, uh, they started to unravel this mystery of my life, of who, how I was connected and why I was connected to art and poetry. And, and, and it wasn't, and I wasn't even involved with my own parents directly. It was a spiritual connection. And I, I treasure that today because I realized that the gifts that we inherit by blood, because I feel like our bodies genetically are linked uh, through our ancestors and our parents without even realizing it. That's amazing because you hear those kinds of things all the time, especially between with our people, you know, who were um, adopted out or 60s scoop or residential school. And then they come to find out later on that they're doing the same thing that they're birth parents were or that they have some of the same attributes or personality traits even though they might not have been raised by them and here it didn't just happen with your mom or your dad it's it's art from all different forms from both sides that's you know that it really goes to show that you know if you inherit that from your parents what did they inherit from their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their ancestors so you're really having the, the, these expressions from your ancestors. And that's, that's pretty powerful. I know. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. I mean, I, I'm in my 50s now. So I, I recognize the, the value in, in the way 
our, our genes guide us, our spirit guide us. And, and in the Mi'kmaq way, we, we know we communicate with the spirit world as uh, the same way you and I are communicating in the physical world. We don't see a difference. That's why we don't have a word for goodbye. We'll say Numultis. And Numultis is a very, to me, um, if you were, if, if, if a, in Western science, they call it, um, I guess, uh, physics or quantum physics, because they're constantly trying to understand the different levels of existence. But yet we've always lived within those different levels of existence. And both my, my biological parents had the gift of being within those different levels of existence. And, and both of them in different ways. Like my, my father um, was, a, a lot of people went to him because he, he was a spiritual traditional leader in his own way. And my mother had the gift, I was told that she had the gift of foresight. So she, she was a seer. And my brothers and I have, had have the same gifts as my mother. And so these things that were genetically inherited, uh, and then my father's grandparents and parents also had gifts. So it's kind of interesting how each gener how each generation is nurtured or not nurtured, but if or if it's just you're naturally born with it. And as two spirit people, whether you realize it or not, uh, we're born with it. We, we don't have to go through ceremony to learn the gifts that straight people have to learn. And so my father used to, you know, before he died, you know, we were at my mother's wake and he shows up and he starts asking me, he goes, you have to teach me. I said, I can't teach you. And he goes, why? Because as I was born with it, you have to go through ceremony. And I said, I said, that's not for me to tell you. And I said, I said, how am I supposed to teach you something I was born with? You have to go through the ceremony practice and you have to ask our ancestors what you need. And so, and that's the difference between, you know, us and them. And so it, it's kind of interesting that way. It's, it, and it's not, it's hard to explain unless you, you if, if you've been nurtured with those gifts, then you know, it's just part of you, right? It's just part of you. So. And and what I really like about, you know, some of the teachings that I've had um, from other Two-Spirit people is the long history of Two-Spirit roles and knowledge and, and spirituality that was, you know, part of our ancestors. So, you know, this was just always a part of way of being. Everybody had different gifts. Everybody had different roles. And it was something that... Uh, contrary to Canadian society or American society or British society um, was seen as a bad thing. In fact, that this was actually a special thing. And I thought, you know, how much we could learn from um, two-spirit people in all of the ways in which our ancestors were, you know, passed down all of that knowledge, you know, through our uh, living memory through our oral stories and histories and art forms. I mean, that's that's such a critical part of who we are, embracing everybody. Absolutely. I mean, you you you're gifted because you you yourself uh, your gift of telling the truth 
and as artists, that's our role to tell the truth. And so, but as two spirit people, we we're the bridge. We're, we live on, on that bridge. And because we live on that bridge, we live between worlds. And people don't realize that because we live on that bridge, we're able to go back and forth between this world and that world and say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And your your ability to do that uh, with with your ancestors, you know, guiding you is is natural. For me, we're not surprised by what you do because of who you are as two-spirit person. And so, well, yeah, it, it's, it's within you. Thank <laughs> you, you. have thousands of, th- thousands of years of ancestors guiding you, right? Well, thank you. That's, um, that's really important. And I think the, the people that we are around and who surround us and support us and help us and guide us also have an influence. And as you were talking about, you know, the peers amongst your mom who were, you know, academics or researchers or researchers or professors, you know, in that world, it's, and you know, how one of them mentored you along the way that's evident in where you are today because for people who don't know you you are also in addition to being an interdisciplinary artist in the academic world and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that so that people know where you are and you know what you're teaching what you're working on and oh well (laughs) the university that hired me uh, ended up putting me in three departments I'm doing my dissertation on the uh, the what we call uh, the hieroglyphics, and Gongkhajuigasigul is broken down in two parts. So Gongkhaj is a suckerfish, and Wigasigul means writing. So you put it together, Gongkhajuigasigul. And when I started to do my, you know, research with the language, I started way back in. Um, as a child, I, go, I, have to, I have to admit, it goes back to being a child when I saw this uh, scroll on my parents' wall of the Lord's Prayer. And at that time, it, there was, it was just a language. It, it, there wasn't any translation. And I remember thinking, you know, what is that and why don't I know that? And it kept coming back to me. And I wrote a paper about that experience and I and I it was about um, and I called it my Numuthis theory you know that Numuthis is an active dialogue and I preference that experience about how I would come to this place uh, that the language kept coming back to me over and over again throughout the years that I've been on this planet and as an adult, the first time it came back to me as an adult, I was living in Toronto. And I lived in Toronto from 1986 to 1988. And when I arrived, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, the Simon family. And Bernadette Simon uh, and her sis- older sister, Brenda, her, her and her brother, Lauren, Lauren passed away uh, shortly after his book got published. Uh, he published um, Stones and Switches. But I spent many nights hanging out with, and they're all artists. Lauren was a writer. 
uh, Conrad was a musician and Bernadette was a painter and, and, and it was just, I really, you know, and their older brother uh, was a sculptor. And so I was very fortunate at a young age to meet a family of artists. And so we would have these incredible conversations. And for somebody in, you know, who's really young um, to meet people at such a critical stage because I was homeless when I was a teenager. And when I arrived in Toronto, I, I had to leave Nova Scotia because I knew that if I stayed, I wouldn't survive. And so I hightailed it to Toronto when I realized I, I, um, that I was too spirited. And I thought, oh my God, I live another life. I have to leave. So I, after I came out to myself, I moved to Toronto. And that's when many opportunities uh, happened to me. And meeting the Simon family from El Sibuktu uh, was a blessing. The biggest blessing I'll ever, I've ever had. Um, Bernadette's my best friend to this day. And I, and I always remind her, Bern, no matter what, who interviews me or whatever I say, I said, I'm always going to acknowledge what you did for me. Because one night, you know, we're hanging out as usual. And um, she hands me this uh, piece of paper. She had gone to the library and she saw this book about uh, somebody had written a comparison uh, with the Egyptian hieroglyphics to the Nigma, to the to our um, hieroglyphics, and so we had a discussion. I remember we had a discussion about how, you know, we've always had this, and I don't know why they're comparing us with the the Egyptians. And so I was very intrigued, and it, it sparked my memory bank about that that um, scroll in my parents' home, and I'm. I had just uh, completed uh, the the TYP program at University of Toronto, and that summer I spent silk screening uh, the hieroglyphics onto T-shirts, and I sold them as a, a street vendor on Queen Street and College and, and Young Street. I was a real cool, happening young chick. <laughs> and uh, I had this sign, and it's made out of. I I I found some uh, deer hide. I still have that sign, and I painted. At the time, we used the old version, M I C M A Q M A C, the Micmac Micmac hieroglyphics, and then I painted it, and that was my sign. And I sold my T-shirts, and and uh, I I left. Uh, Toronto uh, that summer I ended up moving to Vancouver but I put away my my leather hide and I put it in my backpack because I, I hitchhiked across Canada and I carried that leather leather um, sign to this day and you know every five years I would look look at it and I would do something you know five years later I would uh, paint hieroglyphics onto cards and you know I would always do something and I thought I keep coming back to this and I don't know why and so when I was writing my my uh, my paper I was I decided to call it my Namuthis uh, journey because Namuthis means see you later and so I kept telling the deer hide you know Namuthis up you know I put it away 
and, 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 and not really think too much about it, except until I started to go to art school. And I did my first year of art at uh, Langara College in Vancouver. And then I went to uh, Emily Carr. And while I was going to um, Langara, uh, my friend reminds me of this to this day. She goes, Michelle, you were thinking about this back then. This is like 90, 1995. Uh, she goes, you haven't stopped talking about it. I'm so glad you're finally doing something about it. So I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh okay. <laughs> I just love my friends. They're very blunt. And so, and so I, I was, um, you know, and these, these episodes of, of, of memory and how things trigger you to, to want to know more. And so over the years, um, I was told that my biological mom uh, was very gifted and that she had many uh, gifts of knowledge and she had gone to university and and she was a residential school survivor and when she lived in Boston she used to work at a bank and I remember elder Lillian Marshall I don't know if you ever met her but she was from um, Bordelodek and Lillian Marshall um, hung out with my mom in Boston and for the last 10 years of Lillian's life, I got to know her quite well. And she, she started to reveal to me, uh, she goes, Michelle, your mom and I hung out a lot in Boston and she, she was very gifted. And so as I was doing my education, you know, after my, uh, my undergrad, I, I knew I was gonna do my, uh, I wanted to do my PhD and I wanted to do my master's. And so I thought, I'll, you know, I wasn't in a rush. I thought I'm going to work and see what kind of project that I want to do. And so when it was time to do my master's, I started to think about uh, what Ethel Gardner, she was the um, supervisor, she's passed away now, but Ethel used to remind us in my master's program about think about your source what is your source and she really pushed that into our brain as and you know if you're going to have a question what is your source and so we would dissect that question because it, it was an indigenous cohort it was a really wonderful master's master's um, education cohort because it was all indigenous people and i was very fortunate because shirley bear's husband peter um took the same master's program. And so Peter and I, uh, one, day, one time we, we had to talk about this article we all read and we were talking in great deal about decolonization and language revitalization and, and how as indigenous people, we have to be uh, the guardians and, and, the, and the protectors of language. And so Peter and I at that one, a particular class decided to talk about the article in our language. We didn't speak a word of English. We just spoke in our language. We just had a conversation about the article. And one of the things that people don't realize is that, you know, Peter is a lot older than me. he's in his eighties. I'm in my fifties. So he has, you know, 30 years ahead of me in the language. And when you speak to an elder, 
you really have to um, listen. And I'm fluent. And I was very fortunate, even though I was homeless and I had gone through all of this you know, trauma and ordeal, I still maintained my language. I don't know how or why, but that's, I, I'm very glad that, you know, that I still have it. And so having that uh, exchange with Peter with, uh, you know, about the article was a huge, huge stepping stone for me because I, I saw the value and the importance of our language and protecting our language and making sure our language keeps going. And, with the hieroglyphic language, somebody always did something so that the next generation knows about it. And when I was growing up, I had Wilf Wilford Prosper would do workshops in the communities, you know, Helen Denas and, and Barbara and all of these elders that I know did something to, to make sure that the language was remembered. And Merdina Marshall was my mentor and Merdina was uh, also friends with my mother and they're, they're distant cousins but they were you know they grew up knowing each other and and so all of these people played a pivotal role the Simon family the elders the you know people that uh, that kept talking about how you know especially in British Columbia a lot of people actually don't you know, I shouldn't say a lot, but the people that I met in the city didn't know their language. And I realized I was very lucky after meeting so many people. And when Peter and I did that um, exchange in our class, the people that were who were fluent in their language and who were not fluent in their language but were about to learn their language, they understood what we were doing. And there was people who um, didn't know and were still in that angry stage. And they were really upset with us because we didn't um, translate. And so we had, we know, we unpacked it, we, we debriefed and everything after our discussion. But I knew then that I had to do something with my language. And, you know, so I went home and I unpacked my leather, you know, my leather sign that I had written in 1988. And I thought, it, it, it's this, it's our written language that I have to do something about. But I didn't do anything at my master's level. I thought, this is a PhD project. And I'm not ready to do my PhD yet. So when it's time, I will do something about this uh, This this written language of ours and it, it took a while but not not you know I let's see I finished my master's in 2006 and then I entered my PhD program in uh, 2015 so I, I guess it uh, did take a while but I wasn't in a rush you know Indian time no I don't I don't uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it when I'm ready. <laughs> oh, good time. <laughs> so when I started, you know, finally, I, you know, I, I'm doing my doctorate work and I realize, okay, I'm not a linguist and I, I don't pretend to, 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 uh, to say that. I tell people I'm not a linguist. I'm an artist. And so I have to come at this as an artist. 
And so as I was unpacking, there's a squirrel trying to come down on the tree. <laughs> I thought he was going to jump. But he, was like, <laughs> he wants to join us. So yeah. any, anyways, so I, you know, when I realized that I, I could do something uh, regarding the, the hieroglyphic language, I thought, okay, maybe I'll create a curriculum. Because I had did my, uh, my master's in curriculum development. And I started to unpack what that meant and how I can decolonize uh, what curriculum means in education. And so Ethel, Ethel Gardner uh, real, and all her, the, the cohort professors that I met uh, taught us about the value of decolonization and how Western worldview about education and how people learn is come not even remotely close to what indigenous people uh, think of as what education is. And so to me, that was a very important uh, teaching that I received because it reminded me uh, growing up because you know the Mi'kmaq philosophy of non-interference was something that um, I, always uh, recognized as part of the way I, I teach this because nobody interferes with your process. That's the Mi'kmaq way. And so when I do teach a class, I don't, you know, if it's art, because if I teach art, I, I don't tell you how, 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 what you're going to make or you know, how you should make it. If you have to learn from scratch, learn from scratch, and I'll walk you through it. Which is what I did in, in my first year at Saint Evex. I, I I taught my first art art class, and and I the course was about uh, indigenous uh, pedagogy, you know, Mi'kmaq pedagogy or, or indigenous pedagogy, really, and how you know art influences our ways of being. And so many non-indigenous people took that you know uh, that course, and I said to them. You're not here to culturally appropriate, but you're here to understand uh, artistically, using an artistic creative lens on what it means uh, to protect our land, what it means, why our language is so important, what it means to know your family, and what it means to um, articulate you know, what loss means. So I had them answer 10 questions and they had to creatively um, unpack who they were as, you know, individuals from, from who grew up in Canada. And, you know, I only, I only lost one student and he goes, I can't answer that, Michelle. It's a yes or no question. And I said, well, this is an art class. Um, so you can actually respond why you think it's a yes or no uh, question or answer. And, and he couldn't do it, so he left. But I only lost one. <laughs> everybody, everybody else walked through their uh, process. And I kept reminding them about what process is. I said, listen, you can't fail this class because you're unpacking your own answers. And I'm giving you questions that we've always known and tried to convey to the rest of society why land is important and why our culture is important, why our language is important and why we protect it and why our resources are, you know, and, and loss. And so all of these things that, that 
you take for granted, we have been trying to educate you for since for, for 500 years. And so, and I thought, how do you teach, you know, indigenous culture in, in one semester through art? And so, but, you know, they did it. You know, some of them cried. And I said, that's good. I'm glad you're crying. And I said, now, you know, paint it or draw it or write it or sing a song or whatever it is that you do. I said, but acknowledge it. And, and be creative about that experience. And so, so that's part of my uh, course, uh, one of the courses I teach. And then the other one is they asked me to, to teach uh, uh, make our language. And so I, I teach introductory uh, Mi'kmaq to, to anybody that wants to learn about our language. And again, I didn't, you know, I didn't, and I told them, I said, I, I, I don't have those teachings. But it's okay. Uh, do do what you do best as a as an artist. And so, you know, I went to community. I went to my elders, and and they all gave me resources. And goes, okay, Michelle, don't worry about it. So they were very supportive. You know, my community, my elders, all of them that I ha I have contacts with in Cape Breton. And I'm very fortunate because I I have connections in Eskasoni and and Member Two and Wamutkug and Wegoama and and uh, member, you know, member all five communities. Somebody said, you know, gave me, you know, resource and and Listigush. and so and and I ended up using uh, Listigush's resource, and I and I started to tell teach people about the different dialects and how our dialects are so complex. And the more I started to think about what the language means, the more I realized that the language uh, dialects actually broken down when i was growing up i used to think oh okay our dialects between nova scotia new brunswick pei you know okay yeah i know you're i know when i listen to somebody i know they're from elsie booktuk or another or burn church or whatever and i was like okay i know where you're from and but then i realized as i got older that the the dialects are actually broken down from family to family and so now I, I, when I listen, I know whose family uh, they're from. And, and that's something, you know, to me, that was a, a, a nice little um, teachable moment because then I realized, oh, my God, our language is so complex. Because you can ask, you know, if you go Google, you know, on, you know, the Google Facebook page and, and say, how do you say this? And I, I remember telling my professor, you know, when I started my doctorate program, and he he was a uh, he he was a, a student of the Esperanza uh, language. There's, it's a brand new language that these white people uh, made up, and so he was fascinated about uh, the hieroglyphics and our language. And so I said, you know, our language is so complex. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, ask me a question, and I'll ask this group. And I guarantee I'll get a hundred different uh, responses. He goes, no. I said, yeah. He goes, okay. So he asked me a question and I proposed it to the group. I didn't get a hundred. I got 75 different responses. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, because our language is verb tense and we're constantly describing a moment, everybody was telling me, uh, they were describing to me what the what that translation was, and they're all then they were all co uh, correct. 
because and and to, and that makes the learning our language more complicated. And so it's 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 a very interesting journey that I'm on because uh, it creates uh, new opportunities to look at our own culture, our own language, in various ways. And it, being an artist helps. And I guess being a two-spirited helps too, because we're used to looking at things from different angles and nothing surprises us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so, at the, so I teach art language and I'm in the education department. And so I'm in three departments at St. of X. Well, that, that seems to suit because think about, you know, think about our language. I mean, not just you as a person, but the, the dynamic aspect of language. Um, one of the things that most people don't know or misunderstand or were miseducated about is that we were only oral. We never had any art forms. We never had, you know, hieroglyphics. We never had any writing. And in fact, that's the complete opposite. And what really fascinates me about your story is, you know, you saw this prayer written in Mi'kmaq hieroglyphics when you were a child. And then that, that you know, that seed is planted or connection is, is always there. And then you're in Toronto being a street vendor selling Mi'kmaq hieroglyphic t-shirts. <laughs> and, you know, it still carries forward into today because now, you know, the written form, these Mi'kmaq hieroglyphics are, are taking form in terms of a clothing line and also a, a book. And I'm wondering if you can, you know, talk to us about your clothing line because I was super excited when I saw that. I went online right away and bought some stuff, but I mean, you're actually wearing one of your items right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See? yeah. And this what does that uh, hieroglyphic mean? Uh, it, it means listen to us. Jixiduinian. Uh, when I, I'm a photographer, so one of my, I have, I'm an interdisciplinary artist, so I'm a sculptor, photographer, poet, and, but poetry and photography are my passions. And so when I started to, to, to look at uh, my research and how I was going to interpret it, I started to think about, okay, what is my gift? And my gift is poetry. I've been writing poetry for 30 years and I've been published in various anthologies over the years. And I waited 30 years uh, before, uh, over 30 years now, before my book came out. And I remember thinking years ago that my first book was going to be uh, um, bilingual. That it would be in English, but also in our language. And for years, I thought it would be the alphabet. Never, never did I ever thought that I would write poetry in the hieroglyphics. And it wasn't until I started doing this PhD and I started to think about uh, process and how art plays in, in the role that I am as a, as, a, as a future scholar or as a scholar now. And I thought, okay, I have to create an example about what we can do with the language, because the language, you know, the, the, the story, our historical narrative was taken from us uh, because the priest, uh, Christian the clerk, 
went on record and he published his own little autobiography about how he invented the hieroglyphic language. But if you read his uh, historical autobiography, and you can online, it's available, he outs himself. And he's hanging out in your territory. He's hanging out, you know, way up there in, uh, in Gaspé region. And he spent a lot, a long time with, with our with our ancestors. But he outs himself and contradicts himself in his own autobiography. Because at one point in his book, he got, uh, a traveler had come to him and he says, um, I just came from a village and there was all these crosses all over and none of them have ever met a white person before and so the priest got curious and he traveled to that village and he asked questions why are these crosses up and so the the, the leader whoever he met because it, the one of the horrible things he does in the autobiography he never once writes down uh the person's name like he he won't say i met pan and Pan told me the story, not once in the entire book. And so he criticized all of our uh, ancestors, every encounter he had. And it was really hard. Oh, it was horrible reading that book because, but I also had to read it with a fine tooth comb. And thank, you know, I, I'm very glad I'm an artist because I look at things in a different way. And so I found all of these discrepancies and I thought, and then he outs himself. He goes, I was pleasantly surprised that they understood the writing system that I had invented. They must be teaching each other. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh my God. And so, so you have to start unpacking, you know, even the editor who had translated it from French to English, even he goes, this man is, has plagiarized, he goes, he, he's lying. And so, and that autobiography was written in 1670s. And so it's, <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting, you know, way of, of, thinking about you know and, and at that point I thought you know this is a, um, a historical narrative that was taken away from us and so I started to talk to elders and and Lillian Marshall was key to my uh, in the way I, I saw things because before she died uh, you know I was already in the doctoral program and and you know she was my Facebook page buddy and she goes Michelle you know, I want you to tell them, you let them know. And, and when she said, let them know, she meant, you know, the Western uh, institutions. You let them know we've always had this language. And she didn't say, you, you let them know we've had this language for 400 years. She didn't say that. She said, you let them know we've always had this language. And always is infinite. There's no timeline to that. And so that was a very important statement. And I, and I felt bad because I had already had this printed and I wrote in my book 13,000 years and I, because I was going by the Debert um, mm -hmm. this discovery and I thought, and I thought I'm going to retract it when I reprint this because I want that out of there. Because after Lillian told me, you, know, you make sure you tell them that we've always had this language. And, and I, and I told her, I said, I will, Miss Lily, I, I'll, I'll make sure. And so I, I owe her that. Um, 
now that when I talk about it, like in this you know, opportunity to talk about our culture, I, I say this way. And so the, the hieroglyphics kept popping up and the art, they had to meet. My poetry and my art had to meet. And so before I wrote uh, the, the I, I carved whale bones, I'm carrying a whale bones. I'm always carrying a whale. Uh, my brother, my older brother, uh, works for the province so he was always driving around the province and so he goes Michelle I spotted a beach whale at Whale Cove in Cape Breton and he's gifted and so the whale doesn't want to be forgotten it doesn't want to waste away it still has work to do and I said okay let's go get it so we would we drove down to Whale Cove and um, I you know we did our ceremony and I talked to the whale spirit and I let the whale know that I'm doing my PhD and then I'm gonna carve the, the how do we guess it go onto the onto the whale bone? And and then my brother, my older brother, he goes, What are you gonna carve, Michelle? And and uh, I said, our you know the, the the language. Well, what what are you gonna carve? And I said, It'll come, it'll come. And so, you know, we cleaned, you know, we, at that time we we, we got three ribs out of it. It was a pilot whale. And so I, and I took it home and I said, it was really cold. It was winter. And I said, I'll come back and rescue the rest. So I went back, um, but it was gone. The, the ocean took it out. And so I went for a walk and there's these big boulders. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a rock hound. So I'm going to jump these boulders. I don't care if I'm wearing flip-flops or sandals. I'm going to jump these <laughs> boulders. And so I, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to go for a walk. And all of a sudden, there was a rib. Somebody had plunked it right on this boulder. And I'm like, oh, my God. And in all the years that I've gone rock hounding and beach hounding and, you know, walk, going for walks, I never, ever spotted a, a whale bone. And I thought, wow, that's the fourth rib. And my biological mom had four children. I'm the fourth child. I'm the youngest of her four children. So I knew, I thought, oh my God, this, this, this is, I said, okay. So I did my ceremony and I, I prayed to the spirit of the whale and I took it home. But it wasn't the first time I carved the whalebone. The first time I carved the whalebone was when I went to New Zealand 25 years earlier um, when I was in my undergrad at Langara. And I had met uh, a Maori carver at the Commonwealth Games because uh, New Zealand had um, hosted the Commonwealth before um, Victoria. And so out of the blue, I was working with these two uh, queer women who were selling indigenous jewelry. And so I met a lot of people coming in and, and uh, this one particular Maori carver. And um, I, I had this jade stone. And I knew that if I met a Maori person, I would hand them the jade. And, so, and I did. He comes to the table and we start talking. And I asked him, I said, so what do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I'm a carver. I said, oh, what do you carve? He goes, I, I carved uh, whale, uh, bone, and, and jade. And I said, I've always wanted to, to, to know how to do that. And I, this is, I'm in my early 20s now. I'm in mid-20s. And so I was just still learning about what art really meant to me. 
And he goes, I'll teach you. And I said, careful what you say. I said, I'm going to call you on it. And so he goes, no, here's my card. Call me on it. I said, all right. And so I, I didn't call him on it that year. I called him on it the year, year later. And I got the grant to go to New Zealand and I apprenticed with him. And we spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time listening to his stories. It was mostly stories. He, kept, he told one story after another, but I realized that what he was telling me was his, the, his creation stories and how things are all connected. And so I, I, I listened. And then he would go away, leave me alone, and I would sit there and carve and whatever. And one day I carved the wheelbone, and I carved the, um, the the creation story symbol. So I wear that. I wore that whalebone for twenty five years, and I had the most incredible dreams from the whales in those twenty five years, and they never came alone. It was always in pods. Every single dream I had, it was pods of whales. And when I was doing my doctorate degree, um, I had this um, one dream of pods again. And these whales literally came up from the ocean. They stood up like this. And one of them walked towards me, turned into a woman and said, you're on the right path with your writing. We've been nudging you along. And then it disappeared. And I was in the midst of, 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 of thinking about my book and my poetry. And, and I thought, oh, my God. Thought, okay. And, but each dream, every dream, even I, I, had, a, I had a whale dream a couple of weeks ago. And I was so glad because I hadn't seen him in a while. But it, it was about nurturing my journey and not really um, rushing this journey because I recognize that if I'm going to uh, create or write this dissertation, I want this dissertation to be meaningful. And I want this dissertation to, to embody how I see the world as an artist, as a poet, as a Mi'kmaq person, foremost as an Olnu, you know? And so it's like, okay, you're, you're, you're at the pace and where you're supposed to be. And so the, when I started to, to think about my exhibition, I, I ended up carving the, the whale bones by collaborating with um, anybody that wanted to collaborate with me. And so I asked them one question. I said, if you could tell the whale anything, what would you say? And so... Uh, and before I asked that question, um, I had uh, I had been watching the news, and there was this orca whale in Victoria who was carrying her uh, dead calf for 17 days. Because up until that point, I didn't know what I was going to do with the whale bones. I knew I was going to carve the hieroglyphics, but I didn't know what. And I thought, just it's going to come, Michelle. Don't worry about it. And so. I allowed everything to happen naturally. And then the, the orca mom, 17 days, it's like, oh my God, okay. So I realized that I had to um, carve a story about how climate change impacts the whale's environment. 
So I took one of the whale bones and I, and I used the hieroglyphics and I wrote the story of the impact it has on the whale's environment. And then I asked people, because in all the years in my art practice, I always collaborated with people. I would either collaborate musically or I would invite them. I would share the stage. I never had to stage alone because I've, I, even when I was uh, in art school, I recognized early on that young artists don't always have the opportunity to mentor with, with career artists and especially as indigenous people. So back in the you know, late nineties, I organized uh, indigenous women in the arts in Vancouver and I brought emerging artists with professional artists and Shirley Bear and Grace Thompson, uh, I, two elders, a Japanese uh, artist and, a, you know, and, and Shirley uh, helped me curate the exhibition, beautiful exhibition that they did. And then I invited all of these artists to just exchange stories, come together as women who are here to, to support one another. And that was a pivotal thing for me because I realized I had this knack of bringing people together. And so I kept doing it. Every time I had a poetry event, I would invite everybody. And then I started bringing the musicians in. I'm like, play with us, sing with us. Let's, let's, let's merge these two together because what you do is poetry and what your sound and my, what we do together they, they create a, an incredible marriage, you know? And so I, I had fun, you know? And I, I had fun being in the background, just bringing everybody together. And so when I started to do this PhD project uh, and when my book came out, I thought, I don't want to have a boring book launch where I'm just sitting there reading my poems. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, I'm like, oh that's, that's, that's so boring. And so I thought, I... I'm going to invite my, my musical community. And so the first time I, I, I did that, I did it in Halifax and I invited this really cool hippie uh, blues, classically trained blues guitar man. Oh, Scott McMillan. And he's from, you know, he's a settler, but he's a great uh, person that wants to learn and decolonize. And, and then I invited um, a, a percussionist. And so <laughs> Lindsay Dobbin, who ended up becoming my first uh, curator, Acadian. And I thought, I want us to be able to, to work together and, and learn from each other because, you know, what is reconciliation if we don't invite each other? And so Scott McMillan, when he plays his guitar, his eyes closed and he just like, he's an old hippie, right? He's got curly, white hair. He looks like, you know, he, he, he's hilarious, he's, but he's brilliant. And so it was a very interesting first performance piece. But each time I did it, it got better and more interesting. So I would tell the musicians, um, I want you to improvise and respond to my poetry. Don't necessarily play a song that you've learned. I want you to, to create sound and create the sound uh, because you're responding to the words that I'm saying. And so, and they were so excited. 
it didn't matter if they played the saxophone, violin, piano, cello, and, and <laughs> it was so exciting. And so all of my book launches in PEI, Newfoundland, Vancouver, except Toronto, I never got to perform in <laughs> Toronto uh, because it, it, I wanted to perform with the, the queer orchestra, but they were too too busy. And so, so if they're listening, I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was beautiful. And, and so I, I sent you a clip of what I did yeah. with uh, the, young, the young people uh, in Halifax. Uh, they call themselves aquaculture, African Nova Scotian uh, Vance. Oh, my God. He, he brought young people together just to play and and have fun with their instruments and so when I got together with them and and you know some of them knew how to improvise some of them didn't and some of them were just learning and they always needed a leader or someone and so we I invited uh, Pat uh, to to lead the young women in her voice Pat Watson Patricia Watson and she's this incredible African Nova Scotian blues singer who's got the voice of angels and the night of our concert you know we're, we live in COVID times uh, the technician got an email and these are all young people so they all you know still work in pubs or bars waitresses or whatever and so he gets a text uh, somebody with COVID came into our, our bar you have to go get tested and we're, we had set up the equipment uh, we had did our sound check. We did our rehearsal, and but we had we had to cancel uh, the live concert, and it would have been the first live concert after a year of, of COVID, and so, <laughs> and I was like, so we called up the you know the Chester Arts Community, and and I'm like, you got to go on the wire, and once you tell one person in Chester, everybody. <laughs> two minutes so it didn't take long for, for everybody to find out and but we had the equipment up the sound guy was there we put all our masks on and it was really interesting because in the back of our minds we don't know if we have COVID and you know when you do a performance with that fear in your at the back of your subconscious and you're like oh my god i could have covid i could die tomorrow and but and then we put on this performance and i said to them you know it's your choice i said but since we're all set up you know i i had applied for a, a grant to have this done and i said the money's there we can record it and we can edit it and post it online and share it to the world and so they agreed. Uh, we lost our cameraman because he was taking care of his uh, uh, his parents who were in their 80s. He goes, Michelle, I, I can't be around you guys. I can't do this. So the crew brought their partners along and they took out their cell phones and a lot of them had iPhones. So they recorded the whole thing using iPhones. But we had a professional sound guy, so he was able to to professionally record our sound. And so <laughs> the entire thing is, is done on iPhones 
by these young people. And yeah. so, <laughs> but it, we created incredible, the, well, the musicians created an incredible um, backdrop. And so the saxophone player, uh, we dubbed him in. And then Patricia Watson was told by her doctor that day, you can't sing. You just had surgery. You need to recover. She goes, Michelle, I can't sing. I want to sing. I said, okay. So we'll dub you in. And that's what we did. We dubbed her in because she, wow. I mean, her, her, when she sent me her tracks, I cried because it's like, oh my God. I'm like, and the, the young people that were there would have learned so much from her because they were so quiet. And I thought, and, but I'm glad for the sound guy who was able to bring them up and for Patricia, to, you know, when you edit in is such an important, important aspect to any creativity and the editor and the sound people, you know, if they're incredible and they love their craft, they make you sound beautiful. And so I was so happy. And of course the saxophone player and we dubbed him in too. And so it was like beauty. You know, and 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 that performance, I we had, I, I wanted. It, it was in the middle of the fisheries dispute, and it was also, um, you know, COVID had uh, brought out the worst in humanity. We see the worst in humanity anyway. You know, racism is so alive in Canada, and it's like, it it, it didn't surprise us how people were behaving towards the Asian community, and so. I thought, you know, we really have to respond. And because aquaculture was, uh, um, the, I guess, the uh, Lance, uh, he's from, he's, he's African Nova Scotian. And I thought it was really important for me to collaborate with his community and my community and those who were participating in, his, in that band because it was a very multicultural band. Um, I thought, what a better opportunity, what a great opportunity to bring those people together and respond to what racism means to us. And I had written a poem about anti-racism when I was uh, working at, uh, at a university in British Columbia and somebody had asked me to, to write about uh, racism for International Day of Elimination of Racism. And I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll write about it. And, um, and I've been performing that. I've been reading that poem ever since. And I sent it to you. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, please. <laughs> I'd love it if you could read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will read it. And so. And this is in your this, book too, right? Oh, yes. 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 I, I could have written this, you know, 30 years ago and it still resonates you know, Nina Simone reminds me of how uh, sad it is to, you know, you listen to Nina Simone's work, her music, you think she wrote it yesterday. Mm. You know, it, yeah. there's no, it, it's, and that's the sad part of humanity. Not everybody's horrible, but a lot of them are there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, this, so this one, um, is called uh, Stepping on Intellectual Sacred Grounds. And I wrote it when I was uh, uh, working at this uh, University of Fraser Valley. And I had 
the fortunate experience of meeting the Stola people, uh, they really welcomed me into their territory. I lived in um, Agassiz, I lived on this farm. And one time I experienced uh, something that I'll never forget because magical things happened to me in their territory. And one of the things was, um, you know, the spirits, you know, uh, Stephen Point and Gwen are gifted. They have this ability to open up the portal. And it was that season, the season had started and they were cleaning their uh, uh, big house. And when you do that, you open up the portal. And one night I get this tap on my shoulder and um, I was doing my, it was the first year of my master's um, program. And I was staying at the, the healing lodge and the, I was by myself. I knew them because I used to take students there. And so Pam, she's passed away now. She goes, Michelle, don't worry about it. I'll give you the key. You can stay here. Cause, and I said, okay. So the first night I was there, I was by myself and I could hear footsteps. And I was like, hmm, okay. And then the second night, uh, no, 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 not, not the first night. The first night there was no sound, but the second night I invited my, my uh, classmates to stay with me. And that night uh, they had opened up the portal. We didn't, we didn't know that. So we heard footsteps upstairs. And we're like, oh, somebody's here. So I went upstairs. Looked around, nobody. And because sometimes somebody stayed at the healing lodge. And I'm like, I, you know, anybody here? Anybody here? Nobody. So I go back down and I tell people, nobody's up there. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So again, somebody, I'm like, so I went back up. Nobody's there. So I came back and I said, oh, I guess, and you know, they, they're all First Nations. And I said, well, we're being visited. Like, oh, okay. And they knew what I meant. And so we go to bed and uh, I put, I asked the women, you guys snore? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Darlene goes, yeah, I snore. I'm like, okay. So I had my earplugs, put them in, shut the lights and we all go to bed. And all of a sudden I hear giggling. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you guys laughing at? And they're like, we're not laughing, Michelle. I'm like, I just heard you laughing. No, Michelle, we're not laughing. I said, oh, okay. So, <laughs> I'm like, so I'm sitting there and I'm laying there and I'm like, okay, spirits. I know we're, we're in your territory. We're just here briefly, but I really have to get up tomorrow morning and go to school. So can you let me sleep? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and they did they, you know they got a kick out of me obviously and, and so but you know these kinds of experiences always happened to me but in still in still the territory in Shahela's country I was very I was visited a lot and so we went back to class the next day and one of the classmates who was from that community uh, found out that they had you know done the ceremony and so two weeks later we we um Gwen came back and she realized that the spirits were curious about us because we were not from there and so she goes I have to close the portal 
so she she came back. We did the ceremony. She closed the portal, and so. But I I say this story because it's, I think it's important to acknowledge the 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 territories that we that we live in, and the teachings that they give us, and so uh, that experience allowed me to to think about the importance of other worlds and how close they are right beside us, you know. I have all these chairs sitting out here. And so I know my ancestors are listening to my story. My relatives are sitting with me. And so, so this, this poem was from that territory. So this was written in 2009, March 20th, 2009. Charismatic symbols can be deceiving, reaching out beyond arm's length to a world that is hidden we meet them in stairwell parties, coaching, reciting outdated belief systems on purpose. Racialization is my uninvited genetic makeup, constantly changing, collecting stories of unseen particles, representing a repetitive warning sign waiting to be buried. It's hard work to know every native. Like your signature, ignorance is not always bliss. Across Mother Earth, First Nations people are weary at day's end from unwanted conversations. My body language screams personal space. The same way stepping on intellectual sacred grounds topples belief systems. When you rolled your eyes and looked away, you revealed yourself forever. Resolute like dust balls that roll across the desert creeping along until the wind carries them without a care in the world. Did it really make you feel important? This self-imposed exile is not my wish. To see myself in a corner where no one can hear my cries, my pain, or see my self-worth. My birth is political, controversial. Yes, this land is my land. Your sense of entitlement does not give you the right to insult me with words forced upon me since birth. I don't wear my culture daily, I live it. I don't hide my culture, I feel it. I'm proud to be fluent in my language, to sing the songs taught to me as a child, understanding what is sacred, what is meant to be shared. Niska. I would never question your lineage, enter your space without permission, or write hurtful words on a poster, Lysol 101, for everyone to see. I guarantee an uprising would occur if we turned the tables. Here we are in the 21st century, still at a place where people who appear different are affected at every turn. Western society is not comfortable hearing the truth. Instead, they write new laws, denying us the privilege in a dialogue or issue that you see as harmful to your bottom line. Well, silence no more. You need to know someone a moment ago with brown, black, yellow, white skin was mentally brutally raped. Someone with white hair was pushed aside. Someone who is disabled was ignored. 
Someone who speaks a different dialect was ridiculed. Someone who loves the same gender was ostracized. Imagine if you went through this every day. What kind of world you would see? Fortunately, there are martyrs in this world carrying truth across the threshold of peace and kindness. Traveling for the sake of learning, carrying the wisdom of their ancestors through the people they meet, sharing songs, stories, by allowing us to be aware of our gifts, our cultural strengths, our resiliency. Have mercy on those who have no idea what it's like to be different or not different at all. My strength guides my spiritual awareness. Solid burdens once carried, released, ignorance set free, enemies no more. These gifts that make us stronger are whispers of peace that keeps us alive. Remember them in your dreams. Remember them when someone is still learning. Remember them when someone is born. Remember them when they move on to the spirit world. Ancestors who came while writing these words, the breath of ancient air floating through my home, through my dreams, acknowledging my existence by tapping on my shoulder late at night. It's because of them, silence is not an option anymore. This is so fitting. Because it's you, Pam. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, like, hanging on every word. Going, I feel like she's speaking to me. <laughs> you could read it anytime you want. I don't care. You can oh, my gosh. That's just so powerful. And it relates to us. Like you said, it could be you could have written that yesterday or 30 years ago, or 80 years ago, you know, like, you're really speaking to our experience. And that's just so powerful. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that. Because I know all of the listeners uh, who are from all over Turtle Island, you know, young and elders uh, from all different nations, and some of our friends and allies listening, will will actually be able to relate to that, see that in the here and now. And, you know, I just think, you know, my first reaction is how appropriate it is that, you know, you as an artist are looking at and interpreting and engaging with the language because hieroglyphics are beautiful and they're artistic and they're, they are little art forms in an each one and of themselves representing parts of our language, which in turn represent the beauty of our people and our ancestors. And I just think if you only looked at it from history or linguists or writing, you would miss you would miss the beauty in it. So I can't thank you enough for sharing that. That's just so, so appropriate. You know, wow. I wanted to jump up when you're like, silent no more. It's like, yes, exactly. Oh, so beautiful. I, you know, thank you so much. And what I will do um, in the podcast description is I'll make sure I'll post links to where people can buy your book. 
your beautiful clothing line, which I've already gone and, and bought some items and the YouTube video so that people can see, actually see the video of what you were talking about, you know, this, this beautiful collaboration. Um, and of course, your website, because when I went on your website, there's just so many things on there. And, and uh, you even have your own blog. So <laughs> I mean, there's just you're just engaging on so many levels. So there's so many resources, because one of the things about this podcast is lifting up voices, supporting people in the work that they're doing in all of these different forms of decolonization and revitalization. And, and I really appreciate um having this conversation with you, because honestly, I could listen to your voice. It's like the voice of home, right? You know, and home resonates in your heart. And I could listen to your stories for days and days. I'm such, I love stories because there's a context to everything. You know, you don't get yeah. that in short media clips. And I really appreciate how in all of your work, you share the stage with other people. And in the stories you tell, you're acknowledging the support, love and kindness and teachings you got from other people, which, you know, not not everybody does. And that, you know, you as an artist, your eyes are open and your ears are open and your heart's open to the symbols and signs and teachings all around you, you know, that you don't you don't miss that, that that's incorporated in what you do. And, and you've embraced your gifts. You haven't denied it. You haven't suppressed it. You haven't looked the other way. You've really embraced it in a way that you, you get to share it with so many other people like me. I just want to jump out of my seat today, just, you know, <laughs> hearing that one poem and, and how you lift up others in your work which we need to do more of that. Make sure we're lifting up the voices and experiences and gifts of other people. And I guess the thing I'm really taking away from this is to just remember our connections to all of the worlds, not just the human beings in the here and now, but, you know, the spirit world and our ancestors and all of the different territories that we're on and the connections we have. That's just so incredibly important and you know art takes all of that and puts it together you know brings it all together so you can see it and feel it and enjoy it yeah. and not just always have to focus on the politics or the law part of it or the you know governing part of it that art kind of brings it all together and and it's such a such a wonderful Thing that I have been able to listen to you today and that everybody else is going to be able to listen to you in an extended podcast that you can just sit back and enjoy and listen and absorb. So thank you, Walalan, for sharing all of this. Uh, thank you. And, you know, if you are in Nova Scotia, uh, my exhibition uh, is supposed to start on August 14 at Art Gallery of Nova Scotia in Halifax. And so you'll be able to, to see uh, the whale bones and um, uh, my photography. So this this particular design, Jixiduinen, uh, I, I captured, uh, I took this, I, I call it my best photo shoot then. It, it happened uh, a week before my father died. And I went down to Sky River in Wigoma and I was taking, it was magic hour. So I was taking pictures of water and the importance of protecting water. And I'm always taking photos of water. And I always acknowledge that we have to embrace what water is. And so this particular photograph, I, I noticed that the, the water just went like this and it, it was in the shape 
of 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 one of our symbols. And so the water, the wave is I just I captured it at the right moment. And it reminded me of our language because Merdina told me that and she wrote it in her historical analysis of the language is that the language comes from the land because they used to use it as maps. And so when I look at the land, I see our language everywhere. And so I started to take photos and, and I was like, no matter what I do, I see our language. And so this particular design was about uh, and why I chose listen to us. Listen to us from a water perspective. And, and then the other one, Wellalio, uh, we thank you. Um, that one is us telling Mother Earth, thank you. And then the other design, um, so um, they will teach us. So as professors, people come to us because they want our teachings. But in the, in the end, it's the student teaching us. So we end up becoming, teaching each other. And so that's what that one resonates to me is how we end up sharing that stage. And so even when I share the stage, with, regardless of what I do, I'm, I'm collaborating with um, several other artists for Nocturne in Halifax, and we're going to create a five-minute uh, animation about, our about the friendship treaty. And we're going to co-write a hieroglyphic uh, message. And I'm, I'm going to... Be, uh, they're going to animate me drawing out the the hieroglyphics, wow. and so and then and then another opportunity on Labor Day weekend, I'm going to get the community to write um, hieroglyphic cutouts, and we're going to give them flashlights, and they're going to parade down the landing, and I'm going to acknowledge all of the children that have been unearthed from all the residential schools. Cause I, I myself, I'm a child of a survivor. I went to the federal day school. And so I'm a survivor, but we're all impacted every time we hear, you know, now there's hundred and what, 160 more. So we're up to 1605 children and, and more. Cause that's, there's 130 left. Right. And so I, I really think it's important to, uh, I'm glad they're being unearthed. That means the spirit is released and they can carry on now. So I'm no longer sad. I'm happy they're being found. That means they're being prayed for properly. And they're now moving on to the next world in a good way because somebody found them. Mm -hmm. And so, so initially I was really heartbroken, but now I'm glad they're, they're being found because they're being, they're getting the, the ceremony that they deserve, that they didn't get. And so, but we have to acknowledge them. We have to pray for them collectively. And so the work that I do now is about recognizing our ancestors that we're not, we're not given that opportunity in the way that they, that we care for when we have our funerals as you know as Mi'kmaq people I don't know what they do in Il River but we have everybody shows up 24 <laughs> hours a day and 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 drops by and yeah. and the wake the wake is part of your healing process and so and so and and that that we missed that uh COVID took that away from us you know and so so a lot of these things are coming back but 
when I did the clothes, I thought I need to reach people. Mm-hmm. I don't want a silk. I don't want a silk screen and be on Young Street. I'm, I'm my days <laughs> are over for that. <laughs> but but the company I chose um, uses sustainable material, which is why I chose them. And I waited until plus sizes were available, and because I could have launched this back in December, but they didn't have plus sizes. And I thought I'm going to eliminate a lot of our indigenous population mm-hmm. if I don't have plus sizes. So I waited, and I and I thought I'm not launching this until plus sizes are available. And so, and then it happened when the 215 were found, and, and so I launched on June 1st. And I thought, do I launch now or do I wait? But everybody was so sad mm-hmm. and so heartbroken. And I thought, I need to change the narrative. I need, I need people to see good news. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, Michelle, share good news. People need to see it. People need to people need to be lifted up. And so I used this opportunity to lift us up while we're in mourning. And I thought, okay, this is, it's meant to be that way. And it worked out because my elders are so excited. And a few weeks ago, I, I had an elder, Bernie Simon's older sister, the Simon family keeps coming back. So the oldest contacted me. And she goes, Michelle, um, what's the symbol for 215? And I said, oh, geez, I'm going to have to get back to you, Dolores. And, and so I, 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 I went through my material and there was all these symbols for different numbers, but not for 215. So I emailed everybody. I texted. I said, hey, let's get together and, and uh, talk about this. And, and, and they're like, oh, yes. So I had elders from uh, Elsie Buktuk, uh, PEI, um, and Cape Breton, and community members from Eskasoni. And so, and we had, a, we had two nights, we got together and wow. we realized, okay. And the second night, um, uh, the other, uh, where was it? Uh, where was it? Manitoba, yeah. Manitoba got announced. So the elders said, Michelle, um, let's just make a statement, a Mi'kmaq hieroglyphic statement that acknowledges, that's going to continuously acknowledge each of the, of the uh, schools that are going to be found. And I anticipated that. So I had gathered all of these symbols that would acknowledge the children. And I put it in my PowerPoint and I said, I, I said, you know, I, I knew this would happen. So I, I showed them all of these ways we can acknowledge the children with the language and we, and we put it together. And so we created a, a, a statement. And each time a school is acknowledged, I posted on my Facebook wall. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't, you know, I don't have to say much more were found. And so, and, and the elders appreciate that because, you know, they're, they're hurting too. Mm-hmm. And so, so Dolores Simon, yeah, well, she's a Levi now, but uh, still the Simon family, I tell you, they're like, they're my angels. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, yeah. that's, it's important that we do that. And we, 
I, I like how, yeah, of course, we're all sad. And, and for many people, they're re-traumatized or, you know, the pain is brought back or reinvigorated. Um, but then there's the other side of the being able to bring the kids home, you know. They're teaching us. Listen yeah. to us. Look at this. The, te- the yes. kids are saying, hey, hello, listen to yes. us. We're, we, were, we were killed. I, I just think these what, what the messages that I chose are so like, oh, my God, they're like, Whoa! This is it, this is like <laughs> right on. Oh it's literally <laughs> perfect for the scenario. It, for for this time in history that we're in right now, yeah. it's like yeah, and and so things are happening the way they're they're meant yes. to happen. Yeah. yeah, I I agree, and I think if you know when people go on, not just read your book, but also see the art and meaning in your clothing. You know, it's not just style. It is really awesome style-wise too, but the messages behind it and how it can apply in so many ways, even during these sad times. And honestly, that's how you and I connected. Because of your launch, it resulted in a media clip and boom, it was, you know, one of those things put before me, you know how social media does that? You might be interested in this. And I looked at it and I was just so moved I was like, I need to talk to you. And I can see why now because of all the teachings and all the learning and, and I, and you've taken so much time to do that and share. And I, I really appreciate it. I'm touched and I can't wait to actually come back home to Mi'kma'ki and, and meet you in person. And, and thank you. Thank you properly. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Call me anytime. We'll get together. And if you're here for from yeah. August till next year, I'll 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 take you on a tour of the exhibition. Yeah, that would be awesome. And like I said, I'll post links to everything that you've done so other people can see it and access it and 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 take from it. And um, also thank you to all the podcast listeners and YouTube video watchers for supporting this podcast and helping to lift up these voices. So now Um, Michelle, we can help lift up her work, her art, her teachings, and share it on and then keep sharing it on and keep sharing it on. That's the purpose of this podcast. And don't forget, I will include all of the links in the YouTube podcast description (laughs) and in this podcast description. Until next time, everyone, keep living a warrior life with love and compassion and heart for everybody. Walalia. Bye-bye.